Before we get into this morning's message, you join me in um, praying his blessing upon his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that we have this um, great gift, this great blessing to go to your word and hear of you and to hear what you have for us. I pray, Father, that our hearts and our minds and our spirits would be receptive uh, to what your word has for us. Uh, I pray, Lord, uh, a special um, anointing on each hearer and on myself, Lord, as we seek to deliver your truth and to receive it in the way that you have, would have for us. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Paul and Timothy went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. And when Paul had seen the vision... Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. One of the most con consistent postures that I have discovered amongst Christians is the willingness to, to go where God leads. Um, the, the phrase, the idea, the, the um, posture of Christians that I've come across is, Jesus, where you lead, I will follow. I see that as almost a universal uh, response from those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think it would be rare, it would be probably even weird to talk to a Christian who would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to go where he leads me, right? Like, the reason that would be weird is because it really is the antithesis of being a Christ follower, right? If we're standing here, we say, I follow Jesus, and then we say, but we're not going to go where you lead me, you're not really a Christ follower, are you? And so it's, it's kind of a normal thing. Now, there's nominal Christians. There, there are people who, who maybe don't have a true faith, but they call themselves Christians, who maybe won't go where God leads them, who's maybe resistant, or maybe they're struggling in their faith, and they're like, I don't want to go where God leads me. But by and large, most of the Christians I've come across in my years of ministry, if you ask them point blank, will you go where Christ leads you? The answer is almost universally, yeah, I want to go where he leads. Where you lead, Lord, I will follow. But there's, almost a, there's another um, experience that is almost as common as this one as I've interacted with Christians. As I've, as, as I've spent time with, with, with people who are genuine Christ followers and who are genuine when they say, where he leads, I will follow. And that common experience is the declaration that when they say, where you lead, I will follow, it is almost made with uh, an air of melancholy or, or a hint of bittersweet resignation. Because so many people who wish to follow Christ, 
struggle to know where Christ is leading. Do you know how often I come across Christians who are like, I'm not sure where Jesus wants me to go. I'm not sure if it's, if it's his voice I'm hearing or my voice I'm hearing. I want to go where Jesus wants me to go. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. But I have the hardest time knowing where he's leading me. It, it, is, it is that heart that can read the story we just read about Paul's journey and can hear it almost mockingly, their own lives, their, their own walk in Christ. Uh, you read this and, and you kind of go, how in the world does Paul hear this so clearly, right? How in the world does he see it so clearly? How does he get that kind of vision? Paul and his companions are going, we're going to Asia. Oh, nope. Holy Spirit's going to stop us. We're not going to Asia now. Now where do we go? Oh, we have a vision. And a man from Macedonia shows up and leads us to somewhere else. How many of you would love to have that kind of confidence that you're going and doing exactly what God wants you to do and go? But yet most of us don't have that, do we? Most of us find ourselves in this place where we're like, I have a heart to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I really don't want to do what I want to do. But I'm not quite sure where he's leading me, what he's calling me to do. And I'm not getting any visions of a Macedonian. We read the word of God and we see it over and over and over again. Peter sees a vision from God and he goes to the household of Cornelius and the miraculous happens. Philip was told by God to go in the desert and so he comes across this eunuch and all of a sudden the amazing happens. Ananias is, is sent by God to meet Paul and the course of history is changed. And it's not just, just there, uh, but throughout the entire Bible, we see people directly, clearly led by God. Abraham to Canaan, uh, Moses is sent to Egypt, Joshua is directed to Jericho, David to face Goliath, Elijah to face the priests of Baal, Joseph to marry Mary, and Mary to give birth to Jesus. Every step of the way, we come across these great, these great um, uh, giants of the faith, and every single time, they're hearing the voice of God directing them on the path of God. How do we get there? Why is it that they're able to hear God and be directed by God? What, what can we do to, to know and hear and follow where God is leading us? It seems clear to me that, that this is the life that God is calling Christians to. That, that when we walk into a relationship, when we give our lives to Christ, it seems clear to me that he wants us to follow his path, that, that he wants to speak to us, that he wants to lead us, that he wants to guide us. That's what it's supposed to be like to be a Christian, to be led by the Spirit all the time. 
One of the ways that, one of the ways that I, I draw the conclusion that this is what he wants for us is because we see that example in our example, right? Who is, who is the example that all Christ followers are supposed to be following after? Jesus Christ, right? And so when I see the revelation of Jesus Christ, the life he lived, how he walked on this earth, it is, it is inarguable that, that every step of the way, he was being led of the Father. I mean, he says that himself. He says in John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that's what the Son does likewise. In John 12, he goes so far as to say he only speaks what the Father tells him to say. And in John 14, he says, I do exactly what the Father commands me. He was led and he did and he said exactly what he was told to do. And and I want you guys to understand something. As you look at the life of Christ and you look at the life of, of Paul and Peter and all these different guys in Scripture, it's not just about when they come to some great crossroads. It was like every single day. Go and speak to that person. Go and pray for that person. Go into this village. Go into that place. Continually and constantly, what we see is that Jesus was led every step of the way. And it seems to me that's what we're called to. In fact, I think the beauty of the Christian life is supposed to be that. It is what makes this life, the life of the believer, different, special, miraculous. But how do we get there? How do we go from the life we are living to the life he desires for us to live? I truly believe that the Bible, the the life of Christ, the lives of those recorded in Scripture give us a template toward the life that is orchestrated by God. And and there is a, a really important starting point for getting there. I really don't believe you'll ever get to a point where you can hear the voice of God, where you can be led by the Spirit of God, where you can, on a daily basis, walk exactly in the footprints he has for you. If your starting point isn't having a conviction of intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be in his presence. He wants us to know his voice, to hear his leading, to have an intimate relationship with him. Many Christians fail to understand on a deep level the truth of that. And as a result, their ability to hear God's voice and and to, and to follow his leading suffers profoundly. Every word I read in the Bible about the work of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit leads me to the very clear conclusion that there is a place of extreme intimacy to be discovered for the believer. I really believe, as I look at the totality of what Jesus Christ did, a, 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 a significant portion of his work is to provide a pathway of intimacy for us with God. 
for me, I'm always challenged. I'm always, I'm always um, uh, excited. I'm always, I'm always um, challenged by the illustration that the word of God gives us, the acts of God give us on the day that he was crucified. What are we told happens on the day that Jesus Christ crucified? As he gave up his spirit, as he, as he said, this is my last, as he breathed his last, the veil in the temple was torn. Now, now that to me is, is an incredible picture of what the work of Jesus Christ was meant to do. See, the veil in the temple was that, was that, was that, that barricade, was that block for everyday believers, for everyday followers of God, for, for the everyday Jew to be separated from the presence of God himself. That it was only, it was only the high priest, only the, the most perfect and, the, mo- and the, most, the most religious and the most right person could actually enter into the presence of God. And as he died, that veil tore and it signified the fact that through his death on the cross, every single believer has entrance into the presence of God to dwell with him, to know him. How many of you get excited about that reality? Because if you're not, there's a problem with you as a Christian. I'm here to tell you. We have, by the work of Jesus Christ, been given access to an intimate relationship because of what he did on the cross. But it's not just there. It's not just that imagery. It's not just that picture. We are told by Jesus Christ over and over again that he came so that his work might provide an intimacy for us with God. So many of us as Christians have adopted a posture of Christianity that is simply one of philosophy and not intimacy. That we practice a Christian theology and not a lifestyle of godly intimacy. Christianity is not simply or primarily an academic endeavor. It is at its core an intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, where there is communion and fellowship with him. It's fascinating because this is how Paul describes um, and encourages the church in both uh, Philippians 2 and in, and in 2 Corinthians 10. He describes it as, 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 as desiring that you have a communion with the Holy Spirit. That, that if you're a believer, you're in fellowship with the Spirit. Think about just those ideas, that, that, that concept. The, the description of fellowship and communion is really meant to, meant to show this, this, this dwelling together, this unity with, this knowing of each other. That we as believers are given communion with the Holy Spirit of God, given fellowship with the very Spirit of God. The very Spirit of God is God, His presence here, and we can commune and fellowship with Him. And, and I really think for a lot of us, when we, when, we, when, we, when we hear the idea of the Holy Spirit, we don't realize the depth of intimacy that are intended in our relationship with the Holy Spirit and the sending of the Holy Spirit for us. 
We have to understand that the gift of the Holy Spirit is almost entirely about abiding, about leading, about an intimate relationship between the believer and God. Look at what Jesus says about sending the Holy Spirit in John 14 and then in John 16. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he says, I still have many things to say, but you can't bear them right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak not of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The entire point of the gift of the Holy Spirit is to have an interactive, living relationship with God. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about that idea? The, descriptive, the, the descriptions that Jesus Christ uses about the Holy Spirit, the, the, the activity of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, and how intimate it is, he says he is going to send the helper. He says he's going to send the comforter. That, that the Holy Spirit is here to convict you of your sin, to lead you into truth, to teach you, and to direct you. The very, the very starting point of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to convict us of our sin and to draw us to the Holy Spirit. Now you understand this. Your salvation is this individual act that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life individually for each of us. And then from that place, he says, I'm going to allow the Holy, the Holy Spirit's going to be there to comfort you. When you're in pain, when you're suffering, when you're in fear, the Holy Spirit is there to comfort you in your circumstance, in your situation. And, and I mean, when you get into 1 Corinthians and you, and you walk through all of the descriptions that Paul has as it relates to the Holy Spirit, he's talking about an, an, an interactive, individual experience where the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I mean, each of the gifts of the Spirit are that move, Right? But God speaks to you, you speak what God is saying. Whether we're talking about the prophetic, or we're talking about words of wisdom, or we're talking about words of knowledge, or we're talking about speaking in tongues, even the, even the act of healing, as the, the gifts of the Spirit manifest on us in the area of healing, it is God saying, go and pray for that person. I have something for them. The Holy Spirit has come so that we might have an intimate relationship with God. The reason many of us struggle to hear the voice of God, the reason many of us struggle is because we're not convinced of that. That he has something for us. For us. For this moment. For this time. We have to operate in our faith with the conviction that God wants an intimate relationship with us. Do not allow yourself to be convinced that somehow... The Christian walk is simply a philosophy or theology or ideology. Because what that does is it leads to religiosity. 
which never brings us to the intimate steps that he has for us. The word of God gives us the conviction that intimacy is what he wants for us. And it will be in that place of intimacy where he can speak to us. So the second thing that we really have to understand if we want to be led of the Holy Spirit is that we have to cultivate that intimacy. Too often our only interaction with the Holy Spirit is when we need direction or when we're, we're, we're suffering or, or when we need something from him. And what ends up happening is we have not cultivated a relationship with him. We treat the Holy Spirit, we treat God much the way we treat our mortgage guy. Right? When I need a mortgage, I've got a guy. So I pick up the phone. I can't tell you in this moment his name. But when I need him, I'll give him a call. How many of you think he was at my house Christmas Eve because we're so tight? You see, we treat the Holy Spirit and God very much in that way. And so what we do is we walk through our lives and it's not until we need him for the direction that we spend time with him. And so there is no real intimacy taking place. We don't know how to hear his voice. We don't know where he's leading because we really don't know him in that way. You have to understand that, that intimacy with the Holy Spirit is cultivated just as any other relationship through time and attention. Think of the words of, of James 4 where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Or the words of Hebrews where it says, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Or the encouragement in Jeremiah that says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Doesn't each one of those, couldn't each one of those um, be substituted for just about any relationship we have? As we draw nearer to our husbands or our wives, have you noticed how they draw nearer to you? The way for us to really know the Holy Spirit, to live in the Holy Spirit, is to realize it is incumbent upon us to cultivate an intimate relationship with the Spirit. We talked about the many examples in the first century where we see God leading his people, but consider that the direction to Peter to go to Cornelius' house came when he decided to go up on the rooftop and spend time in prayer. Or the direction of Ananias to, to, to come to Paul came because he was on his knees in prayer, cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could speak to him. Or the, the life of Jesus Christ that we're using as the pattern for our own life. Do you know how he knew the direction of the Father? Because he withdrew to be with the Father time and time and time and time again. Walk through the Gospels. And, 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 I want us to, and I want us to look at that example and understand the depth of what is being, what is being taught by that. Jesus Christ who was with God from the beginning and who was God from the beginning, 
Understood that in this life, in this walk, in his humanity, it was incumbent upon him to withdraw from the crowd and get away on his knees. To go into the desert for 40 days and fast and pray and seek the face of the Father. Time and time again, you would see Jesus the preacher who would go out and there would be crowds, there would be thousands hanging on every word he would say. And as the crowds were sitting there, he'd go, I got to go and I got to be with the Father. He would withdraw from the crowd. Let me tell you, as a preacher, that's not an easy thing to do. You got a captive audience there. And what does he do? He says, I need to be with the Father. You know why he needed to be with the Father? Because he knew that whatever he was giving them had to come from the Father. And so an intimacy with God is something that Jesus himself was cultivating. So many of us never take the time in prayer, in fasting, in meditation, in worship. And then when we come to these moments where we need to hear his direction, we're so frustrated. God, I'll go where you tell me to go. God, I'll do what you tell me to do. And we struggle to hear what he wants us to do because we struggle to know what his voice says and does and is. Every single person used by God and led by God follows the example of Christ and cultivates a practice of intimacy that is marked by prayer, that is marked by meditation on his word, by practices of fasting, a devotion to worship, times of solitude and silence. It's one of the reasons why I think the class that, that Bruce has been teaching on Wednesday nights is such an important one for us to teach. The practical disciplines of the Christian life is what leads you into the intimacy where we can hear and understand the Holy Spirit in our lives. We do a poor job of that, by and large. I remember as a kid, first hearing the story of Jonathan Edwards and being so inspired by it as I was studying to go into ministry and thinking, man, that's the kind of, that's the kind of minister I want to be. How he would get up at four o'clock in the morning and he would go into the forest and he would find places of solitude and places of prayer and he would just be in God's presence and he would, and he would cultivate that relationship and know him and he would be in prayer and solitude. He would be there in, in, in fasting and he would just be there and meditate on the word of God and know God in deeper ways. And then what would flow out of that is he would be directed to the Holy Spirit. He would go to places. And, 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 the, and the story would go that he would go into factories. And as he would walk down the assembly line, the Holy Spirit was so incredibly powerful there that he would go and people would begin to weep. And without saying a word, people would turn their hearts to Jesus Christ. That that's how intimate he was with the Father. And it was because he took the time at 4 a.m. to be there. We want those experiences. We want that leading. We want to be where, 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 where Paul was at, and where God just speaks to us and gives us visions and directions. 
But very few of us ever want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go into the forest and spend four or five hours in prayer and solitude. And understand something. I'm not saying this to scold you. I was inspired as a young minister by the story of Jonathan Edwards. How many, how many times do you think I've gotten up at 4 o'clock in the morning going into the woods? Never. Because just like you, I struggle in the area of taking the time and saying, listen, it matters enough to me to do the extraordinary, to withdraw, to be in his presence so I can know his voice so very clearly when he speaks. Many of us struggle to hear his voice because we don't seek that intimacy And if we do it, it is so shallow and short and so insignificant of investment as to pay almost no dividend. We must, if we want to be led of the Spirit, be in the presence of the Spirit so we can hear the Spirit's voice and know it when it speaks. Time with Him matters. And in the matter of being led, I really believe that there are several practical steps that will teach us and cultivate his leading in our lives. One of the first things we need to realize is that when we need the direction, when we need the guidance from God, we need to bring our request for guidance to God. Consider the reality that that he asks us to ask him, to, to, to actually pray in that way. Father, I'm coming to you out of our relationship in the valley of decision. I need your wisdom here. Actually bring it to him and seek his direction for the life that you have before you. Consider the specific instruction from James chapter 1 where he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. His direction in this passage seems to apply directly. In prayer, say to God, Father, I am coming to you seeking wisdom for what to do next. Prayer is always, prayer is always the acknowledgement that your dependency is on God. Prayer is always saying, my faith is in you. I am trying to depend on you. And we need to practice that. We need, we need to be going and saying, I don't know where to go. I need help from you. Give me guidance. Show me where I'm supposed to go. I know it seems simple and it seems obvious, but we often don't take that first step. But I'm going to tell you something. You know what makes it easier to take that first step? Knowing him so intimately because you spent so much time with him. One of the things that pushes people away from that first step is the fact that they don't really have an intimate relationship with Christ and they feel stupid 
going and asking for him for something when they're never there in his presence. Start being in his presence, and when you have need for direction, actually ask him. And then after you ask him, take the time to listen. Again, this seems simple, but we too rarely do this. Ask and take time to listen. Not just a few seconds, but listen to him. Active communication is a two-way street. And I genuinely believe that God has set this up in a way in which he wants to speak to us by the Holy Spirit. Come and ask him what you need and then be quiet in his presence. And listen for a word or a picture or a vision or a passage as he desires to speak to you. And not for 30 seconds. Actually see that, understand that the active part of being led of the Holy Spirit is him speaking back to you. That the starting point, the starting point is just the prayer, just the ask. But what we're actually trying to do is take time to hear what he has to say. Sometimes that may take an hour. Sometimes that may take a day. Sometimes that may take a week. But what we do is we say, Holy Spirit, I am here to hear from you and I need to hear from you. And until I do, I'm not going anywhere. I want to hear from you. I want to listen to you. Christians spend too much time talking at Jesus and not enough time listening to Jesus. Third thing we need to learn to do is to turn, tune out other voices. One of the greatest challenges for Christians who have not developed the practice of listening for the leading of the Holy Spirit is determining what voice is speaking. You know, often I hear people going, I can't, I don't know if that's my voice. I don't know if that's what my situation or my circumstances. I don't know if it's God's voice. I can't tell. Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission, points out that impressions in our spirit will come from one of four sources. Our own mind, the mind of the world and our culture, the mind of the enemy, Satan, or the mind of God. And I think that is true. I think that is, that is the, 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 the struggle, the, the, the pitfall of trying to hear the voice of God because so often we hear this world speaking to us, we hear our own voice speaking at us, and actually I think at times we hear Satan trying to derail us. I believe there is actually an enemy of our soul that is working to undermine us. And so one of the skills we have to develop is the ability to crowd those voices out and hear the voice of God. The more you do this, the more you practice this, the more you'll begin to understand his voice more clearly. But we have to understand that's a part of what we're trying to do. There are influences that can crowd out, confuse our ability to hear the voice of God. But fortunately, the Bible tells us that we are empowered to bring that under captivity. Think about the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, specifically in the context of the conversation we're having here. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have, it says here, divine power to destroy strongholds, arguments, lofty opinion, raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive so that we can obey Christ. 
What's fascinating here is this passage speaks directly to what the challenge is that we have before us as we're trying to follow Christ, right? Yet there are strongholds. There, 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 is, there is an enemy of our soul that is trying to, de- that trying to de- de- derail us from the path he has for us to obey Christ. There's opinions out there that are crowding in, trying to get us to be derailed from the, from the pathway that Christ has for us, to obey his direction for us. But he tells us we have been given the power to tear down that, to bring clarity so that we can live in obedience to Christ. Understand that this is our prayer, that this is a part of our prayer. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we come against those things that are trying to deter me, that are trying to get us off the path you have for me. Speak clearly. So I may know your voice and hear your voice and follow your voice. This entire practice of following the leading of the Spirit is to live in obedience to the Spirit. And we have been given the power to pray that our very thoughts would be taken captive and that opinions and arguments that interfere with the obedience of Christ leading our lives will be destroyed. And then finally, I think one of the most important practices as we, as, we, as we seek to hear and know and follow the voice of the Lord is to test every message that you receive. As you hear from God, test the message, the vision, the word, the image against the word of God and in the community of God. Always understand that nothing the Spirit says will ever contradict what the Spirit has already said in His Word. And so as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, as you feel as the Holy Spirit is saying something to you, one of the ways that you can know whether it is the Holy Spirit or not the Holy Spirit is whether or not it comes up in alignment with the Word of God, what He calls you to do in His Word. The Bible is the Spirit of God speaking. He's not going to contradict Himself. So you bring that and you lay it before the word of God and you say, is this something that God would want me to do? I lay it against the, the vision that, that, that Paul has and, and, and he goes, oh, does, does the word of God want me to go and spread the word of God? Yep. This falls in line with it. Right? And I believe that God has given us men and women of God in our lives to come and bring it and say, This is what I've been praying. This is what I've been seeing. This is what the word of God has shown me. Tell me what you think. And I think that's specifically an important step, particularly as we are working to develop the ability to hear the voice of God. As we get further down the path, it's it's the type of thing where we can know it and we can understand it in such deeper ways. That doesn't mean we don't bring it before others, but it's one of those things where early on specifically, come to those who are mature in their faith, who've spent time walking with God, and give them that opportunity to say, man, I think that may or may not be what God is trying to say. Understand something. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear this very sincerely, particularly as we go into next week and we head into a time of prayer and seeking God's face. The most important thing, I think the most important thing from a pastoral perspective that I would have for believers in this church is that you would cultivate the ability to hear God's voice speak to you. 
and I, I say this with, with all honesty, with all sincerity, the least important thing that I could do in ministry is teach people how to hear my voice, to be led by me. I believe God uses pastors. I believe God uses me at times to deliver messages to people. And I think God uses all of us at times to deliver messages to people. But your Christian faith will most grow, will most prosper, will you be most discipled when you are being discipled and led by the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you don't develop that ability, develop that skill, understanding the voice of God and following the voice of God, you are severely handicapped in your walk in Christ. We have to operate from the conviction he wants you to be in in an intimate relationship with him. And you have to cultivate that intimacy with him so you can know his voice, hear his voice, and follow his leading. Each of us at times find ourselves frustrated. Frustrated with knowing the next path and the next direction. Frustrated with the depth of our prayer life. And the truth is, it's almost entirely our own doing. Because we haven't invested ourselves in cultivating an intimate relationship that we've been deeply blessed to be able to do. If you want to know the voice of God, Learn to be in his presence and learn to hear and listen for the voice of God.